Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. This episode covers a sensitive topic for the church today. And we acknowledge that any discussion that relates to the rainbow community has the potential to be divisive in church spaces. In our experience, we are seeing an increasing generational divide between those who are affirming of the rainbow community and those who are not. And when thinking about the changes ahead for the church, we believe that having this conversation is vital. And my lens as a pastor is that my ethic is defined by love. And this is not a passive stance. This way of loving requires so much more of me. It means I have to keep practicing going into a conversation to listen deeply, to understand another person's experience, what they feel, what brings them joy, and where they have felt pain. And this kind of listening changes me at a fundamental level. It brings deeper understanding and empathy. And I believe empathy is the most powerful human emotion to make us act. So this conversation with Zach is his experience of listening deeply to the lived experience of Rainbow Youth. His experience of being deeply moved propelled him after speaking about this at the Baptist Hui in 2022 to also write an opinion piece on the Baptist New Zealand platform titled what makes me weep our response to the rainbow community because of the gentle way he opened up this topic we were keen to have a chat with zach here we appreciate that simply having the conversation can be provocative and are happy to engage with anyone who would like to discuss this with us as we are with all of the topics that we engage with on this podcast so we invite you to listen with us to zach's experience and to trust that the spirit is at work in our active listening and making room for one another. Hey, Zach. Hey, Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I get to live out my 20-year-old white man fantasy of being on a podcast. So that's, wow. yeah, you know, like, I think it's every white guy's dream is to oh. be on podcasts. Don't yeah. reveal my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad to help you fulfill a bucket list. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you with us. And um, we're going to be talking about some of your experiences and some of the thoughts that you have around a particularly, shall we say, can be heated topic. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll let you kind of unpack that in a minute. But before we get there, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners and let us know what does it mean to be Zach? Yeah, hey, I'm Zach. I'm 28, just in 28. I'm from Petone Baptist in the Hutt Valley and uh, I've been a youth pastor now for just coming on seven years and before that did a little bit of youth work. Yeah, just part-time and yeah, that's kind of my background. I'm married, have a dog and I love playing video games and uh, making like miniature models and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. You've been a, a youth pastor now coming up seven years, uh, which is uh, an awesome effort. Well done. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your your heart for youth and youth ministry and then how, how youth ministry is, is framing the way you see the world? Yeah, like I, so I grew up in a Christian home. Dad was a youth pastor, watched him doing youth ministry, watched him engaging in church stuff. And I was like, I never want to do that. That looks horrific, <laughs> you know? And then through some like messy situations, I ended up no longer kind of attending church when I hit maybe 17, 18. I kind of like 
it was a little bit done with the whole space struggling within and stuff but i really like still had a connection with god but didn't really like like the way that church has functioned and so i chose to kind of stop attending but i was still involved with a few different youth camps and stuff like that particularly extend hmm. which is a camp that Marilyn withers runs and i was going along to that and went along one year and just had this like little prompting in my heart around youth ministry and i was like oh no please no and then i was like okay like i'll meet you i'll meet you like 10 percent of the way god i'll um i'll start attending the church and then you can make everything else happen if you want me to do youth ministry you make it all happen otherwise you got to give me the heart for it you got to give me the opportunity that sort of stuff i'll but i'll take a step and i'll start attending a church so i started attending a church and then joined the youth ministry started hanging out with these young people got really like excited about it seeing like yeah, just the vulnerability that young people have their heart for for each other, for spaces to be changed. Like, I love the, like, revolutionary nature of young people. Like, oh, they nice. just have this, like, heart to, like, see things be different, even in the mess of, like, their own world. Like, you can be working with some of the, like, people in the hardest situations struggling the most, and they still have a desire not to just see their life transformed, but, like, see others' lives transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something just so, like, energizing about that. Yeah. And so, yeah, got the opportunity to move into pastoring after about six months and yeah, haven't looked back since. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, continue to, as much as like, you know, church politics, all the like tensions and hardship that comes with like running youth ministry and stuff like that. Like as much as that's a struggle every week when I show up on a Wednesday and like sit down and start having conversations with young people, I just end up feeling like uh, so full of life and joy again. Mm-hmm. Cause they just, yeah, they're just awesome to work with. I hear you. I think that's what happens. They yeah. just grab your heart. And so, yeah. Yeah. And there's so much change going on for them and like so much development that happens, right? Like it's so fast for them to go from like a space of like really struggling to like having their life transformed and being, you know, excelling in school, finding jobs, all that sort of stuff. And knowing that like, you know, you can be a part of that journey for them is, yeah, it's super rewarding. Can I just go back? It's a little bit outside the scope of, of oh, yeah. ministry, but you said you, you left church because you didn't like the way churches function. This is the Change mm. Head yeah. podcast, yeah. and so we're thinking about yeah. the way churches function and, uh, mm. and what needs to change. Could, could you talk a little bit about what you struggle with and whether that's changed or how have you navigated that coming back into the church space? Yeah, I think on a, like, being the kid of a pastor, I saw a lot of, like, the inner workings of how churches function and the, like, politics that go on in the background and stuff. You know, watching that growing up is very disillusioning when you see like people who are passionate or excited about things and then getting like those passions and excitement squashed by, you know, structures, uh, tradition, that sort of stuff, really restricting the way that like things could be functioning. Yeah. And so I think like I still have those like qualms, those issues in the church. And if I'm honest, I think that like part of the reason why I've lasted seven years and youth ministry is because I had the understanding of like the stuff goes on in churches. And whereas I think a lot of young youth pastors can come into the space really excited, want to see the change, get met with all the resistance and then fairly like really struggle in that space because they've got these hopes and dreams and desires for what they want the space to be. But it's not met with the same energy and enthusiasm maybe from the from the church body. And so become disillusioned and then yeah, struggle in that space. Whereas for myself, I kind of went in expecting that resistance anyway. There's this quote by um, this Italian revolutionary called Antonio Gramaschi, and he says, my mind is pessimistic, but my will is optimistic. Within the situation, I imagine the worst that could happen in order to summon up all my reserves and willpower to overcome every obstacle. Wow. Yeah, and like, you know, I think that kind of like 
often sums up the way I feel about church is like, I can often be quite pessimistic about it, but then I like, I use, can use that pessimism to kind of drive a, a will or an energy to see change happen, hopefully. Yeah. Cool. Mm. I was just thinking you're in a space where, you know, youth are thinking about things and how they could be different. And so that encourages you to stay in there, yeah, to be a part of that eh? and to to stoke that. I mean, that's why I'm still here, because I still have hope in what a younger generation can imagine, and I want to be a part of that. So we're really encouraged to hear that you're staying in, despite knowing the obstacles. Yeah. And I think, you know, more and more young people are choosing to stay in challenge. Mm. Uh, You know, my kind of my generation was a little bit more keen, I would maybe just like disengage a little bit when they hit the resistance or maybe not disengage is maybe not the best term but like just struggle to like find the avenue to continue or just get beaten down by the by the pushback on stuff whereas young people now you know like they're pushing hard for things and uh not afraid to just be like well actually no like I think this is important and I'm not gonna just back down on this that's really interesting so you're saying there's a shift you're seeing a shift in this younger generation actually able to sit in that space and push back and still stay in there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's hopeful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think there's like a negative to it as well, where like, you know, it comes from like a disregard for like authority, oh, yes. which like personally I respect a lot, but like it can be like, you know, pain in the ass sometimes when you've got young people being psycho at youth group. But like, yeah, there's only so much you can expect from young people to like, how did I hear it phrased? It's, um, it's not that they disrespect authority so much as they need to understand why they need to, or like you need to earn the respect before they'll respect it. Yeah, whereas in the past, I think it was a bit more just like the given was to choose to respect first and then hope that they'd meet your expectations of respect. But yeah. So Zach, you wrote a really interesting article after the Baptist Hui. And I just wondered whether you could speak to that, speak to that Mm. experience and why you wrote it. Yeah, so at Hui last year, uh, there was a segment run by Sam on uh, Incredible Youth, talking about uh, youth ministry, young people, kind of what their needs are in the church and how it's kind of a space that is struggling a lot within our churches at the moment. Uh, And then at the end of every session, but at the end of that one, there was an opportunity for people to share. And it was coming to the end of the like time for people to share. And I'd had on my like heart to speak on LGBTQ plus and the way that their possibly their treatment by the church has led to some of the really harmful situations that found themselves in. Yeah. And I felt compelled. And so I, I, I just kept my hand up even after they finished and Sam called on me to, to share. And yeah, so I stood up and shared my heart just around, yeah, those really like sad and heartbreaking statistics around like youth suicides, but particularly amongst LGBT youth, you know, they go from double to triple to quadruple the stats, depending on where in that spectrum they are. And, and then just at the end of it, share the stat, which was that one adult in a young person's life being affirming of their gender or sexuality can reduce their suicide rate risk by half. And then following that, yeah, I wrote an article expanding on those thoughts probably a bit more, expanding on this tension that I feel in myself of the way I've run youth ministry in the past compared to now, but in the past, the way that I ran youth ministry wasn't, in my mind, didn't lead to fulfilling and uplifting young people who might be gender diverse or have a different sexuality to what is considered the norm. So you've talked about doing youth work for seven years. And in that time, I am sure that that experience of youth has changed you. And I'm wondering if you could could speak to that. How has that changed you? 
yeah, like I, I think when I first started in youth ministry, I held yeah quite a traditional view, I'd say, informed largely by just my upbringing, my surroundings, you know, growing up in the church, you're kind of just taught what the like answer is to this question. And it's a very firmly put thing at times. And so it's one of those things that you just don't question, you know, it's almost like, you know, the Trinity is like the way that we describe how God the Holy Spirit and Jesus exists. And so that's just what it is. And so you don't put much thought into it. And so when I first started ministry, that's probably where I sat was in that space. But over time, just as I slowly like was challenged by my coworkers, I was fortunate to, when I first started youth pastoring, I did it alongside three others. We kind of split the role between four of us, and which was an awesome experience. And one of them in particular was really good at challenging me in my stance, encouraged me to read, engage, understand more. And as I went on that journey and then began working with young people in that space, my views and understanding shifted. And there was one young person in particular who I, you know, I'd journeyed with her for a long time. She kind of started the year I'd started youth pastoring and super into like the Bible, really excited and passionate about Bible studies and that sort of stuff. I ran like this extra Bible study night and she'd come along and she'd like run the questions for me or like come up with studies for me and like did one one week on like the emotions of God and the Old Testament. And was like unpacking like God being angry and like, you know, like stuff that like a year 10 shouldn't like be thinking about, but like, she's just like smashing it. Right. And then by the time I'd come to the end of my time at that youth ministry, this young person came out to me as, you know, being bisexual. And I knew that they had this hope and desire to, you know, one day either be a theologian or maybe a pastor, run the church, something like that. And sitting there in that moment, knowing like, you know, in the church I was in at the time, like that wouldn't be acceptable for them to be in that role like it was just heartbreaking for me to like have to sit there and know like man your sexuality in this context is going to limit this beautiful gift that you have Mm. Um, there'll be people who'd question even your ability to stand up on a Sunday and share just because of this like thing that is from their understanding and from mine is their like born sexuality it's not a choice that they've made it's something that they really struggled with to even get to the point where they felt comfortable sharing and so, yeah, that was that was a big a big shift moment, I think, for me, that conversation. And I'm, I'm kind of an all-in kind of person. And so, like, after that conversation, um, and then as I, like, slowly engaged more and more in the topic, looking into those stats, like I've mentioned before, if anyone wants to read more about them, Trevor Project is a great, great resource. It's just, like, I look at the way that Jesus loved, and I can't help but see that he's, like, always picking the people on the outskirts, the ones who are most hurting and struggling in our society. And then throughout the Old Testament, right, like, Deuteronomy is always calling to, like, loving the stranger, the immigrants, like, you know, like, it's calling us to love those people on the outside of our society. And, like, rainbow youth and rainbow people in general tend to end up being in those positions. I think, like, homelessness rates for people with who are trans is something near 40%. Experience homelessness at some point in their life, which is just like ridiculously high statistic. And so, yeah, I think I, I've slowly just got to the point where I can't not support them. Zach, what is what is uh, hitting me mm. is your heartbreak, mm. and I think that once our heart breaks, there's no going back. There's no changing. It changes you at a fundamental level that you have to keep going forward. And I think I think you've really hit something there. And I loved a phrase that you wrote in your article, and it said, who do I weep for? Speak to us more about that. Yeah, 
uh, I think we've all prayed, or maybe not all, but many of us have prayed that prayer at some point of like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, which is like the silliest prayer because like you just end up on the floor sobbing every time. Because I think there is so much in the world that like just breaks God's heart, like seeing people so hurt and broken and emotionally vulnerable, like physically vulnerable, like, yeah, I just always find myself coming back to that thought though of like, yeah, what is breaking God's heart in these moments? And why is that either not breaking my heart or like, yeah, why does it break mine as well? And I think when we feel that feeling of having a broken heart, of recognizing a hurt in the world, and we're in a position where we can act and it's not too hard to act, like, I mean, like, why wouldn't we, you know? That's where, where I always end up with, like, particularly this topic with the LGBTQA+, is I'm just like, it's not a lot for me to do to make my space comfortable enough for them to feel like they can exist there that they're welcome that they're loved so why wouldn't I yeah I guess there's possibly some some reasons that you you wouldn't because of the way churches have responded you yeah in, mm. in the past and and, and yep. still do so perhaps can you talk a little bit about your experience of expressing these perspectives or creating a safe space yeah what are some of the challenges that you've had and and how are you kind of moving forward despite those yeah, like it, it is a challenge, you know, like, you know, there's times where I'll start with the good, you know, what we've seen has been like in our youth ministry as we've taken a more accepting and affirming position has been that LGBTQ plus youth are like feeling safe to share about who they are, what's going on for them, the like struggles that come along attached to that, which then provides us opportunities to provide support for them. And often that's like not a lot that we have to do, but it's just being like, cool, how do we connect you in with whatever support services they need so that they can be best supported so that they can then step into like healthy, fulfilling lives. And so we've seen like a lot of young people feel safe in that way. The other like beautiful thing we've seen in our youth ministry is that them feeling safe in the space allows other young people to also like they look at it and go like okay if they're accepted and welcome and safe for that like with that going on in their lives in this space I know this space is going to be safe for me to share about whatever the thing going on in their life is and so they know that the space is a safe space for them because I've seen it outworked for someone who that historically they know that the church hasn't accepted mm. like rainbow people also like young people are more and more looking to see how church is responding to the LGBTQ community. More and more they're looking to see how we are engaging with them, how we are loving them and caring for them. And it's it's almost like, yeah, a litmus test now for the younger generation to be like, is that somewhere I want to be a part of? Are they going to be somewhere that is going to be affirming and accepting of all people? Yeah. With that though, there then has yeah been some negative like outworkings from that where like you take young people into spaces that aren't don't hold the same values as you like combined events or camps or whatever that don't have necessarily the same values and that can turn dicey at times and so there's been times I've had to talk to young people before camps and been like hey actually the space isn't going to be the same as youth group and like, mm. the space isn't going to be like what we have back here and so like I promise you that like I'll do my best to protect you and look after you and if anything happens I'll fight for you but I can't promise that the space is a safe space mm. I mean so like having to have that conversation with a young person is like that's just like another heartbreaking thing to have to mm. do but like there's times where you have to do it mm. you know like I've had a young person share at a camp about their sexuality and feeling accepted by God still and then they've had a leader come to them and tell them that they're going to hell for their sexuality right and so, like, knowing that those sorts of things happen in the, like, the, like, wider church world makes it hard 
on the local level. And then even within my like my church itself, my church is not in a like affirming place itself, the wider church. And so knowing that like, you know, in the wider church context, there will be limits on how far these young people can go if they are in the rainbow community. So that's really interesting because what you're saying is that there's an affirming within the youth group, but not within the wider space of church. Mm. How does that work? I've been very fortunate that I've had really supportive pastors who understand like the reason behind what I'm doing. And I've also been fortunate that like our youth ministry has grown in size a little bit. And so like, it's meant that when people are, I don't know, they're more excited just about the fact that youth ministry is growing. And so don't care as so much about necessarily how that's, or like what's caused that to happen. In reality, I think if my youth ministry had shrunk after like taking this stance, I think I would have, maybe struggled in my context. But I think that there's also like an understanding amongst many people in the church that actually like it's important that there's safe spaces for young people. And the way I label my like youth ministry on the like Wednesday night, which is our main group night, is that that's the space where like we're just starting to build connection. That's where they're first coming to like interact in a church space. Yeah, my Wednesdays aren't even really to convert kids to Jesus, right? Like I just want them to come and experience the space where they can experience the love of God, the love of people and have a safe space to exist. And then we have other programs outside of that to deepen faith. Yeah, and so that's kind of how I managed to make that function within a a non-affirming church. And it's not that my church is explicitly not affirming either. It just doesn't have a necessarily like a affirming or non-affirming stance i was really interested in one of the things you said a bit before that that this topic is being used as a litmus test for young people to know whether or not they want to engage in the church can you unpack that a little bit more like what what are you observing there and how are that how are they making that call as well like what are they seeing Mm. or, or not seeing that they that is enabling them to to use that as a litmus test as a, like a, an example story, there was a year or two ago, there was the banning conversion therapy bill that was happening. And there was a couple of churches that put out statements, you know, opposing the law. And one of those churches had youth workers in it at a school. Um, students at the school found out that those youth workers are attached to that church and that that was happening. And then they went to the school board and basically asked that those youth workers were removed from the school because they felt so uncomfortable about that connection. Not that the youth workers had necessarily done any of that practice in the school, but that connection was enough to like make young people feel unsafe with the church, you know? And so there's situations like that that occur. There's situations where like young people are just like observant of it, you know, like there's, and obviously not all young people, you know, like there's a lot of young people that don't really care. There's some young people who are probably more in that traditional viewpoint because of either cultural or like religious beliefs and that sort of stuff. But a large, a large chunk of young people, particularly in like my context, at least it's something that they like care about because social justice is something that's like very important to young people. Um, It's something that they can very easily engage with the like concepts make a lot of sense to them around like everyone deserves to feel loved and cared for and you know, that sort of stuff. And so it becomes sort of a no-brainer compared to like other world issues that like feel a little bit more out of reach or that they can't engage with. A lot of kids at school will have a mate that's in the rainbow community. They'll have a mate who like, you know, has been hurt by someone. Yeah. And they've all seen stories about churches that have been harmful. And like you talk to young people now and they like, when I was a young person, you know, you'd find a lot more diversity and opinions on it, but like probably more on the like traditional side of viewpoints, at least where I grew up. But now it's almost 
yeah, so far the opposite. We're like, young people are like, why is this even a debate? Like, why is this even a question? Is what I tend to run into with young people now. It's like, no, this is just who they are. You know, you have shifted in your experience and what you think, but you're still engaging with people and relationships where people haven't. Mm. What's that space like? And how do you how do you navigate that? So people who I have deep, close relationships with who are non-affirming, when they see the way that loving young people can be transformative to them, I think it like does challenge them to maybe move a little bit in, in their positioning or become more like, okay, how do I, even though I still believe that homosexuality is wrong or whatever it is, I recognize that there's actually a need for me to make sure my space is still welcoming to this community that I'm still creating safe space for them. Yeah. Like running into, into people who have previously been very like strong on the topic um, in the traditional viewpoint. And then like through the way that they've seen myself be treated when I've taken a step out to be affirming and then the pushback I get for that. And they see that pushback and they see the like difference in the two sides, I'd say like the, the maybe aggression that I've received from people. Yeah. The, angry emails, the hateful comments made about me and the way I do ministry. When they see that, it encourages them into a more loving space, I find. Um, And so it's through like, you know, us choosing allyship can open the door for others to feel like, okay, maybe I need to be stepping into that space because it's not just like, uh, it humanizes the situation, I think. Because I think it's very easy for us in the church to like not even recognize or realize that like, we're working with rainbow young people. We're working with rainbow people in general because it's often so hidden within the church. It's something we don't talk about, don't engage with because, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind that. But, you know, like we hold homosexuality up on a pedestal of sins, partly due to like the way we view sexuality, which I was like really stoked you guys did that podcast recently with on um, healthy sexuality because I think that like, yeah, unpacking and like actually having safe, good, constructive conversations about sex is like, a helpful way to like destigmatizing how we view homosexuality. I'm just sitting with the weight of you mm. talking about you receiving hateful comments mm. about the way you're doing ministry. That's mm. that's awful. Yeah, that there's it's one thing to disagree on on a topic, but to kind of to bring it the per, to, into the personal like that. If that's your experience as as a leader, mm. um, and you're not a part of the the queer community, it gives an indication as to so- how some people have experienced church spaces. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, yeah, you know, if I'm receiving this at, you know, just for being someone who's supportive, like, imagine how hard it is for someone in that community. Yeah, and so that always gives me some courage to like step up and be like, actually, I'll take this because they have to deal with this day in, day out. I just have to deal with it for a week after I put an out, put out an article or a week after a camp or whatever. Like, you know, it's not a, it's not the end of the world for me to have to fight this fight. I can step away from it at any time and be fine. That's their day-to-day life. Yeah. And I think that challenges others to also then go like, yeah, how am I stepping in and protecting those who need support and protection? Yeah. Mm. It just seems at the heart of, it's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Stepping into the space of those who need us to stand with them. And it just reminds us again of the weep, you know, that that's that's why we do this. Mm. Because it's when our hearts are open that that's the motivation. Yeah. It's why yeah. you step, it's why you step up. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like it's uh, you know, it's always those moments and like there's those things about Jesus that always like gets me the most excited and passionate about like following him is like yeah. you read those stories of him engaging with people and choosing to do it in a way that is radically just loving and accepting. You know, like I love the stories of him engaging with like lepers and touching them like you know physical touch is my like number one love language and so you know we all know that like for lepers they would have had no physical contact for years because you know no one wanted to catch their disease and then jesus like you know chooses to engage with them to like connect touch in a way that they haven't received in years like it just yeah or yeah that story of Lazarus where he's died and Mary and Martha come to him and he responds to Martha in a way that Martha needs with the like thoughtful comments but then with Mary he just sits there and weeps with her he knows what he's about to do he knows the healing that's about to come for that person through the like resurrection of their brother but he still just chooses to sit in the moment and weep with them and so like no matter where we sit theologically on this issue we can always choose to uh step out in the space of love, of weeping, of journeying with people who are hurting. And that just feels to me like the intersect. That's where we can intersect with our difference. You're saying no matter where we choose to be, we can do what Jesus is doing. It's so powerful Mm. and yet almost simple, (laughs) but so confronting. (laughs) It's all of those things, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It sounds very easy, but then it's also like super confronting. Like for me, like it's like a, a I don't want to like compare it to coming out because it's not the same as coming out, but like moving into an, uh, like an affirming space or even just like an accepting space with the Rainbow community. It's like a really hard thing, particularly for pastors, I think, to step into because like for the young people of today, it's a litmus test of whether or not they want to engage with church. I think in our church context, it can be like a litmus test of orthodoxy, what your like theology is on this topic. And so, yeah, like I, I just want to like acknowledge in this space that like this is a hard thing for people to do, to take steps. And like wherever you are as a listener on this journey, like I just want to encourage you that like it's okay that it's taking you a while. It's okay that these steps are hard, but also just like, yeah, continuing to choose love. You've touched on some of this, but as we're coming to the, the end of our time together, Zach, what are some of the risks of us not engaging well with this topic? And I suppose I say engaging well because the, the reality is not everyone's going to agree, right? And that's yeah. kind of, in, in a lot of ways, not not the point of this conversation. But surely we need to to learn together how to to engage well with this as a topic. But I guess in, in your space and, and thinking about the, the church wider as well, what, what do you reckon the risks are of us of us not engaging well with this topic? Yeah, I think it's really hard to like maybe quantify like how damaging this is going to be for the church if we're not engaging with it well. I like I think I was talking with a, a friend of mine and he, he kind of described it along the lines of like, you know, we, we often run like a, if we're, if we're in church leadership, maybe if we're involved in like, or church finances or something like that, there's almost like a little equation that goes on in your head of like, if we engage in this, what's it going to do to our congregation? Who's going to leave if we're like veer too close to the affirming side and, you know, lots of churches are struggling financially, that sort of stuff. And that becomes a really scary prospect. The idea of like, man, there's some like solid planted families in this church who might leave because of the stance that we take. And so like, I think there's like a fear that comes for people when they like start to engage in it. But I think there's also a level at which like, we just like end up having to take that step 
like even if people in our spaces are going to find it hard or confronting or whatever, we should be like hopeful that the love that we're then showing to our wider community is then encouraging and being transformative, not just to our wider community, but to the people within our community. You know, like I fully believe the love of God is transformative. And so I think for someone within your community who might be a bit more conservative, traditional in their viewpoint, like, yeah, just hoping that there can be that love that shifts them. Like I've had a young person leave my youth ministry because their parents didn't feel comfortable about the kind of like way we were approaching the rainbow community. But that young person went to another youth group, right? So they're still connected into church. I'm not concerned about them and their faith journey. They're Mm. still engaged in the like life uh, and body of Christ. But the other end of it is that there's now a bunch of young people who are engaging in a space that they might not have previously. And so just being comfortable with that, that like, yeah, there's going to be some people that leave, but that doesn't mean that there is like anything wrong with that action. And I think if we're not engaging with it well, I think we're losing our younger generations. Like we're already losing them, right? Like, and when I talk to former young people or like young adults in a similar age group to me who have left the church, like one of their big issues is the way that the church treats the LGBT community, along with like other things around church structure and whatnot. But like, yeah, one of the biggest things is the way that they treat the LGBT community, the way that the contradiction of like you preach love, but then act in this way. And I think, you know, there's also the other aspect to it. Like I mentioned earlier on, there's one person being affirming in someone's life. One adult being affirming in a young person's life reduces their suicide risk by 50%. Like practically we can like, we can save lives by engaging in this well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, like I've said before, like I can't, not like I just sit there and I just go I can't not because love propels us yeah doesn't it yeah exactly Zach we just want to thank you for taking time and for giving us a window into your heart Mm. and so just to end with would you read just the last kind of paragraph of your article for me it's like a benediction yeah yeah no problem who do I weep for I weep for the youth too afraid to come out at home because of what their parents have said. I weep for the youth who is contemplating suicide because they've been told God can't love them. I weep for the people who feel isolated in a place where they should find belonging. I weep for the youth who just needs to be told they are loved. Will you weep with me? Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, or you've got thoughts about the changes ahead for the church, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Aheadcast, or email us at the Changes Ahead Podcast at gmail.com. See you next time. <laughs>